So I want to welcome everybody, everyone tonight to session number five. Session number five. There's 12 weeks in this. Let's begin in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, how you reveal the word to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and how the word is more than just language written on a paper. The word is alive and it touches our hearts and does things we can't even comprehend or imagine. So tonight we submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the power of your word, and pray that, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Two words, three letters that changed my life. If you're here on a Wednesday night, probably means it changed your life too. I am. He's the answer to every question you will ever have with two words and three letters. Week five. Week one is the foundation, and you'll never understand the individual I am statements until you go back to the foundation, which I've used for all of these sessions, John 8, 56. Jesus makes a statement in front of people that have full knowledge who Abraham is. They know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, they don't know him personally, but they know the history of Judaism then Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it, my future coming. He's glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? They need to get that sentence. That sentence means they're assuming that Jesus is saying, I know Abraham personally. How can you? Because he's 2,000 years before Christ. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born. I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus is hidden, and he left the temple. Is Jesus who he says he is? If you're having trouble with the follow me part of Jesus, I always thought Christianity is this simple concept. It's not simple, but it's as simple in this perspective. There's a man that died, and he went in the grave. And on the third day, he stood up and walked out of the grave and turned around to the world and said two words, follow me. Now, if you believe that he actually pulled that off, that he actually got up from the dead and walked out of the grave, and you heard him say, follow me, you would follow him. You know why? Because everybody's got one of those graves out in front of them. And that means there's a back door to a grave. There's an escape hatch. You can get out of this thing. Follow me. In the Gospel of John, Jesus then announces seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. Those we've already covered tonight. I am the good shepherd. Now, it's interesting to me that tonight's I am the good shepherd is immediately the very next verse after he has announced he's the gate. So in chapter 10, he's announced I'm the gate, and now uh, in chapter 10, just a continuation of that same storyline, he says this, starting in verse 11, <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. The good, the, good she the good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Anybody seeing where this is going? 
There's a wolf and there's a sheep and there's a shepherd. We all know the story. There's a wolf, there's an adversary, there's sheep, that's us, and there's a shepherd, a good shepherd. Verse 13, the hired hand runs away because he is working only for the money. He doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not from this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, before I get into this next part, let me say something clearly. The Bible clearly describes the elders of the church as the shepherds of the flock of the church. God established an order, uh, a governance to the church. They were appointed to be elders. And the elders are considered the shepherds of the flock, the shepherds of the sheep. How can they do their job? One way. And that is the good shepherd is inside of those elders. If the good shepherd lives inside of those appointed elders, then they have received the power through the good shepherd to be the shepherds of the flock. And, um, and what's the role of the elders in the church? Protecting the sheep from the wolves. How? Because the good shepherd lives inside of the shepherds. Now, I just kind of threw this in there because I've always thought, I was watching a TV program years ago, uh, an interview back when President Obama was President of the United States, and he, he had this very famous pastor from a church in Chicago, Jeremiah Wright, and he was being interviewed about Islam um, and his, his, his position on Islam, and somebody asked him a question about Islam, are, is, are, are they saved the same as Christians? And he quotes this verse 16. I was watching the interview when he quoted verse 16. He quotes Jesus when he says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Now his, his position was that that is a specific reference to Islam, to Muslims. Um, I would strongly disagree with that position because Islam doesn't connect to Christianity in any way, shape, or form. Um, what that is a reference to is Gentiles in general, not Islam specific. Now, he said it was a reference to Islam. Um, when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not from this sheepfold, what he simply is describing is the church age. And the church age is when the gospel will be, will be preached not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Now, this is important. Now, listen, that means that the Muslims, sure the door, door is open to them if they'll convert to Christ, if they'll receive Christ. But the door's not open through Muhammad. The door is open through Christ, just like the door for me opens through Christ, just like the door for the Jews 
will open through Christ. The door, what was last week's topic? The gate. The gate is Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. You know, it's, it's Jesus. He's the gate. Now, you must understand something here. Jesus is using this language in a sheep-shepherd culture. This shepherd reference from the I Am may seem strange to us in the room tonight. I mean, really, outside of church, do you ever go to somebody's house and say, how you doing, sheep? They're going to ask you to leave. I mean, we're not a sheep culture. So it's a little unusual. Even when I call our, our elders, church elders, shepherds, somebody who doesn't understand this thing, what do you mean, shepherds? But it, it made sense to them because that's the world that they lived in. That's the language they talked. Taking care of sheep was a way of life. And the I am is talking about a way of life. He's not talking about sheep, not talking about animals. He's talking about life. The I am, a good shepherd, isn't a hired hand. Let's start there. <clears throat> he's not a hired hand, but he's an owner. He's the owner. He owns it all, all of it. And let me say this, um, he possesses them. They're his possession. They belong to him. The sheep belong to the good shepherd. And the word I'm wanting to focus on is possession. His sheep don't have a problem with being the possession of the good shepherd. They're really excited about being the possession of the good shepherd. To be possessed by means to be owned, purchased by. And you, you hear people use the word possessed in light of uh, evil spirit or possessed with a demon. Well, we're possessed with the Holy Spirit. We have been inhabited by an outside power. Possessed by the good shepherd, purchased, belonging to the good shepherd. This shepherd loves his sheep. They belong to him, and they're happy to belong to him. If you're fighting the fact that he owns you, you still haven't got it yet. You're still missing something. If you're resisting the fact that you belong to the good shepherd, that he actually purchased you, you think, well, that would make me like a slave. Then you still haven't got it yet. You, you still don't understand because we are slaves of Christ, bondservants. Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ. Is he saying that in rebellion or is he saying that in rejoicing? He's rejoicing at the idea that I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. He purchased me. The shepherd loves his sheep and will do anything necessary to protect his sheep, even die for his sheep. The I Am has just finished announcing that he's the gate for the sheep, and there's an adversary that wants to destroy the sheep. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to connect the back part of I am the gate to what I just read, I am the good shepherd, because they flow together. Let's do it. I'm going to put them together. Go back to verse 9. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Now, if you're, if you're a Muslim and you want to come in through this gate, you've got just as much right to Christ as I do. You know what? We're all sinners. We're all on the same level. We're all lost. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose 
is to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. Now he's taking the gate, and I'm the good shepherd, and he's putting them together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. Why? Because he, there's not that oneness in the hired hand relationship. He will abandon sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money, doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. They know me just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not from the sheepfold. Again, they're Gentiles. The sheepfold are Jews. I have other sheep from, that aren't part of this sheepfold. Gentiles. I must bring them also. Somebody say hallelujah. I like that part. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. In the end, there will be one flock, one shepherd. When you think about shepherds in the Bible, who do you think of? David. No doubt about it. David. Do you think that's an accident? Do you think that's a coincidence that Jesus refers to himself as a good shepherd? David, the shepherd king, and Jesus, the I am the good shepherd. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you know how the New Testament, and I want you to do something. From now on, when you hear the word New Testament, which is the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you, when you hear about the New Testament, I want you to insert the word covenant. Because the word testament can actually be translated the word covenant. So if Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if all of that is the, the old or the original covenant, then the new covenant, the New Testament is the new covenant. Do you know how the new covenant begins in Matthew? Let me read the first verse. <clears throat> this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the first verse. A descendant of David. Now, why did I put that in there? Well, why do you need to put that in there, David? A descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. A shepherd king. The I am the good shepherd that would lay down his life for us sheep was a descendant of a pretty good shepherd, David. Now, there's something about David I've always found interesting because if you've been around for a while, everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus. Every character, every scene eventually unveils, reveals Jesus. You ever thought about David in this light? David was anointed at a, at a young age to be the king and yet he became a king in waiting. He didn't get to assume his place on the throne for a long time. In fact, it was a very difficult life, even though he was anointed king. He didn't get to take his seat on the throne for many, many years. And King Saul persecuted him, chased him, tried to kill him. Jesus is a king in waiting. Not only do they both carry this shepherd king title, but they share this, this idea that their anointed, their calling, um, their announcement 
came early, and yet it was a long time before they're going to take the authority that belongs to them. Anointed, but waiting. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the king. David, when he was hiding in that cave, he was also anointed as king, but it wasn't the time that he would begin to reign as king. Jesus is king right now. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And one day, maybe soon, he will come to reign. He's a king in waiting. David, Jesus, shepherd kings, a time of waiting. Um, Matthew's, Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus from King David, and Jesus himself refers to David in a remarkable encounter between the I am, between, between himself and the religious Pharisees. I want to read that to you. And what am I trying to do? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Matthew begins with the shepherd king that produced Jesus in the, in the human lineage. So that Jesus is making this connection between David and himself. So listen, then he tells this story. Verse 41, then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked the, the, the religious Pharisees a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Oh, I love it when Jesus does this. Because he, he knows that they don't believe that he is who he says he is, okay? He knows that. So he just puts this question out there. They all love David, okay? The Pharisees love David. They love Moses. They love Abraham. They love all these people they don't know, okay? So, but they don't love Jesus who's standing next to them. So the Messiah, whose son is he? They replied, you think they don't know the Bible? He's the son of David. You know what? Because it's in the Bible. He's the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? How many of you all have ever looked at your kids and called them my Lord? Now, we've looked at our kids and said, oh, my Lord. There's a totally different meaning, okay? Then why does the Messiah, why does David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, call the Messiah, my Lord? You wouldn't do that to your kid, would you? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since, here, here's, here's the bottom line, verse 45, since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Now, can you, okay, I want you to use your imagination, the Pharisees. All these religious smart guys, and suddenly, they're not very happy. Because there's not a one of them can answer that question. You know why? They don't know who I am. Is. He's the answer to every question we'll ever ask. Two words, three letters. I am. Jesus could have answered the question. Jesus could have stepped in right there and said, I am. It's me. No one could answer him. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is doing what he already did earlier. He's announcing, I am before David. Now, how did we start tonight? I am before Abraham. How can you, not, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you know Abraham? That's, that's uh, uh, 2,000 years ago. How? I am, now he's saying, I am before David. How can the son of David be before David? 
How can the son of Abraham, how does Matthew begin? The gospel of Matthew that we read today as the new covenant. How does it begin? Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How can the son of David be before David? That's not how it works. How can the son of Abraham be before Abraham? Uh, I'll throw a third one in there, John the Baptist. John the Baptist predates Jesus by six months, right? And yet he says what? The one who comes after me is before me, existed long before me, right? So obviously Jesus was not John the Baptist's son, but it's the same thing. John 8, 57. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Only if he is the I am can he answer these questions. Abraham knew God, and God revealed himself to Abraham. Jesus says, and that made Abraham happy, because Jesus says, um, Abraham saw it and was glad. He rejoiced in me 2,000 years ago. Abraham saw it and was glad. David, so, so what can we say? Abraham, in some way, knew the Christ. God had revealed the future Christ to Abraham. What about David? Well, I just read to you that the Lord said to my Lord, where'd that come from? Where's it coming from? So Abraham has encountered Christ. David has encountered Christ. Well, how's that possible? You aren't even 50 years old. David and Abraham are centuries before you. What did, so here's where I want to go. David knew something. He knew God and God revealed himself to David. I can't tell you how he did all of it. I don't know. But David reveals something in the most quoted Psalm in the Old Testament. What did David know that you and I need to know today about the I am? If you're having a hard time with the follow me part of Jesus, maybe tonight, let me give you this. Maybe you need to know about Jesus what David knew about Jesus. So I want to do something. Uh, it was years ago I read this psalm like I'm about to show you tonight. Years and years and years ago. And once you get what I'm about to show you, and here's why. David knew something. And once he knew it, I think he was forever changed about himself and the future. What did he know? He wrote it in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, now listen, how many times have you read that and you, read, you didn't read it like that? No, no, he's my shepherd. Everything I'm about to read to you in the rest of the 23rd Psalm is predicated on my shepherd. If he's not your shepherd, you can throw the rest of it away. But what David knew is because he's my shepherd, something happens. So I want you to put the words, I put them in there in italics, showing you what it now produces. Everything starts with my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? I am in a relationship with him. I have all I need. What that means is he is enough. 
He lets me rest in green meadows. There's the rest that every one of us would like to have. He leads me beside peaceful streams. There is the refreshment I receive in my life. He renews my strength. There is my healing. He guides me along right paths. There's my guidance. Bringing honor to his name, there's my purpose. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, there's my testing, there's my strength. I will not be afraid, there's my protection. For you are close beside me, there's his faithfulness. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me, there is his discipline. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, there is my hope. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. There is my consecration. My cup overflows with blessings. There is my abundance. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. There is the blessing. And I will live in the house of the Lord. There is my security forever. There is my eternity. Have you ever read Psalms 23? like that, it all begins with what? My shepherd. What's Jesus do? I am the good shepherd. He produces a relationship, enough rest, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, testing, strength, protection, faithfulness, discipline, hope, consecration, abundance, blessing, security, and eternity. Anybody in the room say, not, not interested. Yeah, you are. The question is, where are you going to go try to get it? Somewhere else? The truth is, it is in your best interest to make the I am good shepherd my shepherd. It is to my best interest and yours. John 17, 3. This is the way to have eternal life. Why? To know you. One of the simplest, most powerful verses in the Bible is John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life. Answers every question. To know you. What's that? My shepherd. As my shepherd. Who doesn't want these 17 things in their lives? The good shepherd, the I am, came to bring them to us. 17 things announced by David about the I am 28 generations before the I am was born in Bethlehem. Do you know how I know that? The I am told me. Did I mention the I am is also the word? In Matthew 1, 17, what's Matthew 1, 1? Jesus Christ gives the genealogy, what? He's from Abraham, he's from David, he's from Abraham. So go down to verse 17, it says this. This is after all the genealogies of Christ are listed. All those listed above, include, uh, listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to Messiah. Anybody see a plan here? You think, wow, isn't that a coincidence? 14, 14, 14. Abraham to David, 14 generations. David to the Babylonian exile. The height of Israel was when? David. The height of Israel's world power, the land that they covered, was during King David to the fall of Israel. Fourteen generations. 
And from the Babylonian exile to the birth of Christ, the birth of the I am, 14 generations. Biblical genealogies show, listen carefully, church, biblical genealogies show about 2,000 years between Adam and Abraham. Those same genealogies show about 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. And now we have, what, about 2,000 years between Jesus and now. 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. I'll ask you a question again. Anybody see a plan developing here? So what if, and this is a what if. Don't misquote me on what I'm about to say. What if a day unto the Lord is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day? How many days has it been? Six. In God's creation order, what happens on the seventh day? He rests. He rests. The problem with that is we're not sure when they started counting. Now, there's a lot of people, I'm probably one of those, that lean in the direction that in God's prophetic calendar, when the, when the full six days of his created world is, finds its completion, he will rest. He will reign. And what is the promise and revelation after the sixth day is completed? A 1,000-year reign of Christ on this earth. You can't make that up. You know what the only problem is? You have no idea where they started counting. If you go study Jewish history, even they don't know where they started counting. Uh, this year... Um, 5,777, I don't know, I've lost track. This is the Jewish calendar, this is not 2021. They're counting, but obviously there's a pretty large gap between their calendar and uh, a lot of people really question the origin of their calendar during the Babylonian exile and the 70 AD exile, uh, how good they were at keeping the year straight. Anyway, just an interesting thing. My point is not to predict some kind of a date. My point is 28 generations, 28 generations, 28 generations, 2,000 years, 2,000 years, 2,000 years. A day's like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years like a day. I'd really like to know when the six years is up. That's what I'd like to know. So, because I don't know, I'm going to act like it's this week. There's a plan and nothing and no one will stop this plan from coming to be exactly on God's time. The men and women of faith who had encountered the I Am in the Old Testament all experienced a revealing of the I Am and the coming of the Good Shepherd. God initiated this covenant with Abraham, the first Jew that would create a race of people called the children of God. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and what did God do to Jacob? He changed his name to Israel. When Israel found themselves in Egypt, when Jacob found themselves in Egypt, in the time of famine, under the amazing reign of Joseph, okay, Jacob, his name became Israel, placed this blessing upon his son Joseph before he dies. Now, they're in Egypt. Jacob 
has now moved from Canaan to Egypt. His son Joseph is the prime minister. He's in charge of everything. And during the good days, while they're still in favor under the Pharaoh, Jacob, or Israel, he had, both of those are his names, he places a blessing. I want you to read the blessing. It's in Genesis 48, 15. Then he, Jacob, or Israel, blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, oh my, he knows them. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name. What is his name? Israel. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the whole earth. Now, I'm going to ask you tonight, how good is that blessing? Because everybody in this room knows Abraham and you know Isaac. May they, may they uh, how did he say that? Uh, may they preserve my name, Abraham, Isaac. Well, that worked because I know their names. May they preserve the name of Israel. I know that name. Pretty good blessing. May they preserve the name and the kids. May, there, may they multiply the name and the children. Sound familiar? You remember, they'll be more numerous than the sands of the sea. It's all meaningless. What, what was the foundation of that blessing? The God who has been my shepherd all my life will do this. Who's producing this? Jacob. Anybody think Jacob's doing this? Jacob would have starved to death in Canaan. Who's doing it? My shepherd. Do you know him? Back to Jacob and Joseph and the covenant promise of the I am good shepherd. Did they multiply? Oh, did they multiply? Why? did they multiply so? Because the I am is a good shepherd of his sheep. The book of Exodus opens with this detail of the I am's great plan to multiply his sheep, to multiply his children supernaturally. Everything began. This blessing. Well, I'm about to read it to you. I think there were 70 of them when they get into Egypt. 70. 70. That's not, you know, I've got that many people come to our family reunion. So that's not huge, right? Exodus 1.1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt including Joseph, who was already there. Now, that's not a great big family. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending the entire, that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful, and they filled the land. Eventually, a new king, a new pharaoh, came to power in Egypt, 
who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel, people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Who's doing it? Who's doing it? My shepherd. My shepherd's doing that. Some of y'all thinking, whoa, we're going to have too many kids. If we don't, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Do you think he could do that? Pharaoh saying, we've got to stop these people from having children. Do you remember the story of Moses? Well, what, what's the story of Moses? They're, they're killing the, the, the sons, they're putting, them in, putting them out. They've got to kill all the boys so they don't multiply. Moses ends up in a basket, ends up, you can't stop it. My point is, you can't stop it. Because somebody's doing it that's bigger than Pharaoh. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies and fight against us, and they will escape from our country. Well, they're going to escape from your country no matter what you do. Anybody see a plan? You see a promise? Hold that thought, and let's look back at the promise from the I am to a man named Abraham. Before you ever had Isaac, before Abraham ever had one child of the promise, this happens. Genesis 15, and then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will. He didn't say might, does he? You will have. And Abram did something that has an impact on every person here tonight. He believed God. Listen, he got a word from God. He received the word from God. He believed the word from God. He trusted in the word from God. It's called faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Let me give you a, a bookkeeping analogy. So Abraham is over here in this category. You can call him a debit. He's not a credit. He's a debit. He's an unrighteous debit. He's over here in this category. What moved Abraham from this unrighteous debit to this righteous credit in God's book? What was it? What moved him? And God credited him as righteous because he did what? He believed God. He went from a debit, unrighteous debit in the book. It's just an analogy, okay? To a credit of righteousness. What did it? Abraham believed God. Believed what? A word. He encountered a word. You know what? You are right now encountering a word from God. We are right now. We are right now encountering a word from God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him. It moved him from over here to over here, from unrighteous to righteous, simply because he believed. That's why we're saved by grace through faith. Abraham was our father in that regard. He was the pattern in that regard. Confirmed. Okay, that was Abraham. And then he has a son. It's confirmed. This covenant is confirmed through Isaac. The son of Abraham, Genesis 26, 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac now and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. 
He's getting a word from God too. Live here as a foreigner in this land and I will be with you. I will be with you. I will bless you. But you got to do what I tell you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. And I will give them all of these lands and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth, including Anderson County, Kentucky, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed my requirements, commands, and decrees and instructions. Now, one more time, the statement of Jesus that we began with weeks ago. Jesus looks at the religious people and says, Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw my coming and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they grabbed the rocks. Here's a question tonight for all of us. Why did they pick up stones to stone him? Use human logic, okay? I often don't want to say that. Doesn't work well. But tonight, right now, why, in human logic, did they pick up stones? Why would you stone the bread of life? Do you not like bread? Do you not like to eat? Why would you try to turn off the light of the world? These are all things that he's revealing about himself. Why? Why would you turn off the light of the world? Why would you want to shut the gate that enters the kingdom of God? Why would you reject the good shepherd that offers relationship, enough, rest, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, testing, protection, faithfulness, discipline, hope, consecration, abundance, blessing, security, and eternity? Human logic. Why? One answer. The more I think about it, the simpler the thing becomes. Only one answer. You do not believe you he is who he says he is. And most people don't today either. Believe what? Jesus is I am. He is before Abraham. He's before David. He's before creation itself. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the gate to the kingdom. He is the good shepherd. That's why followers of Christ are called believers. You know, more than any other single title in the New Testament, we are referred to as believers. I'm not going to pretend like that's easy. I'm not. I'm not doing that because it's not easy. You think it was easy for a hundred-year-old Abraham to believe the God's promise about having a son? You think that's easy? Was it easy for Joseph to hang out in an Egyptian prison, falsely accused of rape, while God prepared his place as prime minister over the whole nation? You think that was easy? Was it easy for David to hide from King Saul all those years while God prepared his throne, knowing in advance that Samuel had already anointed him as king? Is that easy? Was it easy for the Apostle Paul to sit in a Roman prison, write all those letters to the churches while he waited for the executioner's sword? 
Jesus' disciples struggled with believing him, okay? Jesus' disciples, they struggled with believing him, and they experienced him face-to-face 24-7 for three years. And they struggled. He knew in advance what was going to happen. He told them in advance so they could believe it after it did happen. Now, this is really important. I'm going to kind of turn the page here. He said things before they happened so that when they happened, you would say, it's got to be you. You've got to be who you say you are because nobody else can make the future happen like you can. So he would tell them things in advance. And I, I need to say this. He's still doing it right now. I know what's going to happen. I just don't know when. I already know what's going to happen. So let me give you an example. John 13, 19. Jesus says, I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you'll believe that what? I am them saying. So what would help them believe he is the I am? If I could tell you something before it happens and then it happens, you'll say, I am. Right? Does it really matter? So, so that comes down to this question. Does it really matter what you believe, preacher? Come on. I have people telling me that all the time. Does it really matter? Can I believe part of it? Some of it? I know you're probably tired of hearing me saying it, but in 1988, when God did his thing, whatever he did that night to my heart, the question was, either you believe it all or you believe none of it tonight, you'll decide. And well, I knew what he was talking about. He didn't have to spell it out. I knew what he meant. This. This was it. Either you're going to believe it all or you're going to believe none of it. You're not going to be able to say, well, I'll take page 1055. I'll take the red letters. No. All of it. All of it. John 8, 23. Why? Why am I making a big deal of that? Why is Jesus making a big deal of it? Because if I can show you in advance... Then you'll know who I am. All right, let's go to uh, John 8, 23. Jesus continued from now, you are from below. I'm from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That's why I said you will die in your sins for unless you believe. Can I just believe part of it? Unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. You know what? That's life and death. That's heaven and hell right there. Is it important that you know who Jesus is? This is eternal life. Unless you believe that I am who I say I am. And he says he's the I am. You will die in your sins. If you die in your sins, what do you think is going to happen? You are forever lost. God's justice requires you to know. God has this sense of justice, and his justice says, you have to hear, you have to know. So he tells you in advance, your free will requires you to decide what you believe. That's your choice. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I believe, I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe that you'd believe in Jesus. Yeah, I do. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe that you'd believe in Jesus. I do. 
You see, they knew in advance the purpose of the I am. He told them, but it didn't stick. He told them in advance. I'm going to prove it to you. This is after the resurrection. After the resurrection. Luke 24, verse 1. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had already had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. And they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Now, here's the point I want to make. Remember, he told you back in Galilee. What would happen if he told you something in advance that was going to happen and then it happened? Then you'd believe that he is who he says he is, right? Remember, I told you back in Galilee, what? The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I told you back in Galilee, he must be crucified. I told you back in Galilee, and that he would rise again on the third day. I told you back in Galilee, so why are all of you all surprised? I told you back in Galilee. And then they remembered what he had said. Why can't we remember before? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. He told you. Remember what he told you? Okay, let's come to tonight right here in this room. Remember what he told you? I am the good shepherd. Do you believe him? You know how easy it is to look at these knuckleheads and say, what is the matter with y'all? He told you back in Galilee. And tonight he says, I'm the good shepherd. What's the matter with you all? What's the matter with you? I told you I was the good shepherd. You think I'm not a good shepherd? Do you not believe me? I put a star beside this in my notes. Don't wait too long to remember what he said. Don't wait too long to remember what he said. Here, I'm going to do this. Don't wait too long to remember what he said. You know what took Abraham from over here to over here? He took what he said and he believed it. It's called faith. Did you notice what they did when they remembered what he said? I'm going to repeat verse 8 and 9. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. They rushed to tell the good news once they got it. They got it. I remember. You told us that already. You told us that already. No excuses because you know. The Bible has revealed the identity of God in the person of Christ. How many excuses do you think we're going to have? No excuses, because you know the identity of Christ through the Word of Christ. To know Him, not to know about Him as my Good Shepherd. Tonight, He has told each, each one of us, He's the bread of life, He's the light of the world, He's the gate to the kingdom of God, He's the Good Shepherd. The only question is whether or not you and I believe Him. Romans 4, verse 1, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. 
What did he discover about being made right with God? Everybody listen. What did Abraham figure out about being made right with God? How did he go from over here, a debit, unrighteous debit, to a righteous credit in God's account? How? What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, here's what he discovered. Abraham believed God. What did he believe? The Word. He encountered the Word of God. God spoke to him. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Believed what? You'll have a son with Sarah, and I'll make your children like the stars of the sky. All the nations of the world have been blessed because Abraham's life said, the I am is my shepherd. He believed it all. All of it. Do you believe all of it? I'm going to hold this up. Do you Be honest with yourself. Don't answer out loud. But do you believe all of it? I didn't ask you, did you understand all of it? Because I don't either. Do you believe all of it? See, I do. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And when I say that out loud, I mean I believe that God has revealed himself perfectly through his word. And you and I will be held accountable to having encountered God through his word. I'm, do I believe that he is who he says he is as revealed here? He has told you and I in advance what he's going to do. Do you believe him? It's a yes or no question. It's the only way you can answer the question is yes or no. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is? If you're having a hard time with this whole follow me part, weighing the cost of being a disciple. I don't know. I don't know what to do to my family. I don't know what to do to my friends. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do to my life. I don't, I don't, I don't. Didn't you still don't know who he is? You still haven't figured out the first part, the first session in this 12. He's I am. He's I am. The rest of the stuff will fill in the blanks once you get his name. So here, I'm going to wrap it up. The good shepherd wants to lead you and I into very green pasture. You know what that is? It's called paradise. It's behind the gate, and there is a gate. Jesus is the gate. On the other side of the gate is paradise. I want you to picture in your mind the Garden of Eden before sin. A perfect world. One last word from the I am tonight. Jesus is going to talk to Mary and Martha at Lazarus' tomb. This Lazarus chapter follows Jesus' revelation of I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. So, um, I am the good shepherd, I'm the gate, okay? And then you got this Lazarus scene that comes shortly after that. John 11, verse 40, Jesus said, didn't I tell you, he's talking to Mary and Martha, didn't I tell you in advance that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. 
I can hear him saying that tonight. Didn't I tell you in advance that if you would believe me, one day you will see the glory of God. So let's flip that over. What if you don't believe him? I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you believe in Jesus. You know, when he said that, you know what he did? He walked over to Lazarus' four-day dead tomb and said, Lazarus, get out of there. Didn't I tell you that if you believed me, Martha, and didn't I tell you if you believed me, Mary, didn't I tell you, those people watching, if you would believe that what? I am. You'd see the glory of God. Lazarus, come out. I am the good shepherd. Good sheep. Excuse me. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run where, when the sheep, when the, <laughs> the hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and he scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. Doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my own sheep, and they, they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. Can you, do you, will you say tonight, the Lord is my shepherd, that famous king shepherd. Because you know what the end of the 23rd Psalm is? If you can tonight say, if you tonight can say with all confidence, by faith, by faith, the Lord is my shepherd, then you've got this promise. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life, and you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely. You know what that means? Absolutely, positively. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being the gate, the light. Thank you for being the I am. Thank you for being the bread. Thank you for being everything, our very life. Now, Lord, give us faith. Faith, supernatural ability to believe all of it, all of it, so that we might be used of you to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.